Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. It is awesome having you here. Welcome and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. So glad to have you. My name is Justin. If you've never been here before, if you're new or haven't been around in a while, we're so glad you are with us uh, tonight as we celebrate Christmas. Uh, I want to thank first our uh, lighting and special effects department. During the perfect moment when you're talking about the light of life and then the lights turned off, we paid extra for that tonight. We paid a lot of money to get that to happen. So there you go. Yes, he is a pro. He is a pro. Really glad you are here, and when I look out here celebrating Christmas with this room full of people, what is represented here is not just what happens here on Sunday morning. I hope you know, especially if you're new, what happens here and who you see in these rooms and what this represents is meals shared around tables and communities that are served and people who are met in their darkest moments that church is happening all week long, all throughout the year, and Weekly, we gather like this to just celebrate the culmination of what God is doing all week long. Restoration is not just a service, not just an hour on a Sunday or a Wednesday night like this. Restoration is who we are. We're people. We're family. Amen? And so we're really glad you're here, and we hope you continue to join us. I want to look uh, just briefly here tonight, Luke chapter 2, what we just heard there. Verse 10 It says, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. It must be hard for us to fathom sometimes what that meant that night to hear these words for the first time. It's very hard for us to fathom how there could be the kind of news in the world that we live in that could bring great joy for all people, not just a certain segment of the population, but good news for every image bearer of God. It's hard to imagine in a divisive and polarized world that there's any kind of news, any kind of moment that could bring people together with that kind of joy. That feels impossible these days for how dark and divisive the world often seems to be. I was reading this article from Vox Magazine about the rising religions that are popping up everywhere, especially on the internet, and it was talking about the one thing that everyone had in common, the one common thread across political and social spectrums is that everyone feels like there's an impending doom. Abby Richards, who was a disinformation researcher, they interview her in this article, and she says that there's a collective sense that the world is ending. It's the only nonpartisan issue. So we should understand tonight that as we gather here in this room and we sing these songs and we celebrate Christmas together, this is admittedly strange in a very nihilistic and often fatalistic world where it feels like everyone around us is thinking the world is going straight to hell. To have the audacity for us to to claim tonight that something has happened in history, something so monumental, something that is so transcendent, so transformative that every human soul can experience joy from it in a very cynical and often dark and nihilistic world. I understand what we do tonight is admittedly very strange. 
What we believe in the midst of a world that we see is often very, very strange. And yet we return to this year after year. We return to the good news of great joy that is for all people. This word, good news, it's not simply a religious dogma. In the Greek there, this, it's, it's where we get our word gospel, evangelion, which literally means good news. In the time of Jesus, this wasn't a particularly religious word to say gospel. It was actually highly political to have a gospel. A gospel was a royal announcement of a king or ruler's arrival or accomplishment that now changes the world as we know it. There are inscriptions from the first few centuries from Caesar Augustus that announce the gospel of the birth of Caesar Augustus, who now has changed the world. So when Luke is using these words, it's very subversive. It's very bold to say this is the real gospel. This is the arrival of the real king, the real ruler of the world. This is a history-changing event. How we see and how we live and how we see ourselves as image bearers from here on out, everything, everything is different. Everything. That's good news for us. In the midst of suffering that we experience, in the midst of sin, we see all around us, God has not stood at a distance, but God has entered into that suffering. God has entered into that humanity. God with us is what he is called. Luke 2.11 continues, says, Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. These words speak to both Jesus' title and also his task. He is Savior and Lord. He is the one who brings life, not just in the next life, but in this life as well. The salvation we speak of, I understand that there are many who've been brought to a place of disillusionment or even disenchantment with Christianity because the gospel you have been sold is little more than going to heaven when you die. But the gospel I want to tell you, and I hope you walk away knowing tonight, that Jesus is announcing is a gospel that's for this life. It's good news not for just the next life. It's good news for what's happening right now. Amen? It's good news for what is happening in the here and the now. It's not just a set of beliefs, and I'm so thankful for that because at some point, this gospel has to ask the questions that we need answered. This gospel, what does it say to the cancer that's ravaging one of our loved one's body? What does the gospel say to the corruption and injustice that seems to pervade every level of our society? What does the gospel say to my struggles with identity and belonging? What does the gospel say to issues of racism, white supremacy, the, the image bearers that we constantly belittle all around us? How does the gospel actually answer those questions? Not just when we go to heaven after we die. That's the kind of gospel we need, and that's the kind of gospel I want to tell you tonight has been announced in Jesus, not just a gospel for the next life, a gospel that meets us where we are. I believe the answer to how this good news arrives comes in how it arrives. In 1963, Canadian professor of communications, Marshall McLuhan, you may have heard of him before, he coined this phrase, the medium is the message. 
And what McLuhan noticed was that the changing landscape of the media culture, the media-saturated world, this is the 1960s as it's continuing to grow, he saw that as messages were coming out and being brought into the world, it's not just what you are saying, it's how you are saying it that communicates just as much. And in the Christmas story, this is especially true. How the Messiah arrives speaks as much to what the gospel is than the words that he would speak. We learn this and we remember that in Christmas, the radical truth that God did not just take on a human body, which he did, he took on a human life. He arrived in our humanity in the form of a vulnerable baby. I love hearing and worship even here tonight, these little babies that we see walking in these rooms I love hearing babies in the middle of worship service. That means there's life. And you see as you carry these tiny children the vulnerability that God chose to enter into that dependence, enter into that type of vulnerability as a human being where he cannot even care for himself. God made himself that vulnerable. God entered into humanity in the most vulnerable state. This is how God chooses to enter our story. And this vulnerability, it not only was a part of his humanity, it was a part of the humanity in the world that he was born into. Mary and Joseph were poor Galilean teenagers. Uh, they were from a nowhere town. They had no social or political power whatsoever. They were living as a marginalized people under an oppressive regime in Rome, belonging. And before them, they did not have anything whatsoever. Before long afterwards in the story, as you read ahead, you'll see they become political refugees who have to go to Egypt to escape death. This is where the story of Jesus begins, in vulnerability of humanity, in the same vulnerability that you and I face day in and day out. This is how God became what he actually wanted to say to the world. This is how the medium was the message. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says, that stand still before this statement, God became a child. Here he is, poor like us, miserable and helpless like us, a person of flesh and blood like us, our brother. And yet he is God. He is might. His poverty in the manger is his might. Kneel down before this miserable manger, before this child of poor people, and repeat in faith the stammering words of the prophet, mighty God, and he will be your God and your might. This is the invitation we have in Christmas as we celebrate to come into the vulnerability of humanity and meet God where he actually is, not as an idea, but as a person who has come to us. Our questions, our sufferings, our longings are not far away from God. Instead, God chose to take them on in himself and meet us where we are, God with us as we are where we are. This child would then go up to grow up to, to be in absolute obscurity. We don't know anything about Jesus' life from 12 until 30. Absolute obscurity. He was apprenticing under his father as a carpenter. He was a working class young man. And as he begins his ministry at the age of 30, he announced this new world that's being born right into the old one. He comes on the scene in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What good news? The same good news that the angels proclaimed all those years before. 
Throughout his ministry, the people who were most drawn to Jesus were those who were the most vulnerable, who were powerless, who found themselves on the outside looking in. The people who were most repelled by Jesus were those who made themselves invulnerable to the sufferings of the world around them. The people who could not see the hurts of the world and did everything they could to push it away or cause it themselves. Ultimately, it's these people who plotted to bring Jesus to his death, and they hung him on a Roman cross, a bloody Roman cross, making a public spectacle in their mind of this teacher. And as his lifeless body hangs there, it's the same Mary crying at the foot of the cross that held him there in that manger at night, crying there, looking like death had had the final word, looking like the doom and gloom of the world we see is actually true. But once again, the medium became the message. God became what he longed to say to the world. And entering into death, it was not defeat. As we know, the cross was victory. And it says in Hebrews 12, too, something really interesting about Jesus moving towards the cross. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The same joy, the good news of great joy, that great joy is what sent Jesus forward to his death. Think about it. Why would you have joy when you're moving towards an excruciating death? That word excruciating literally means from the cross. The word comes from what Jesus endured. How is joy possible in the worst moments of our lives? These are questions we have to have answers Four, how does joy meet us when everything around us seems so overwhelming? How does joy meet us when it seems like there's so much fear that we bear within our minds? One of my heroes, a man I mentioned earlier, quoted him as a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You can see him here on the screen. Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor and theologian who is most known for his resistance to Hitler and the Nazis. He was an incredible pastor and theologian and in a German church that continued to march towards a nationalism that was driving their, their whole nation into turmoil, he resisted. And eventually this resistance led him to be put into a concentration camp where he would lose his life in April of 1945, just days before the camp would we be actually liberated. And then years up to his death, he was able for a certain point to be able to write letters from prison to his family members and for a while was able to write letters of encouragement to those that he walked with in Christ. He, he wrote his very last letter on November 29th, 1942. This was the theme of his letter, this idea of Christmas. But even deeper than Christmas, Bonhoeffer was writing to his friends from prison somehow about joy. He writes, a sort of joy exists that knows nothing at all of the heart's pain, anguish, and dread. It does not last. It can only numb a person for the moment. But the joy of God has gone through the poverty of the manger and the agony of the cross. That is why it is invincible, irrefutable. It does not deny the anguish 
when it is there, but finds God in the midst of it, in fact, precisely there. It does not deny grave sin, but finds forgiveness precisely in this way. It looks death straight in the eye, but it finds life precisely within it. What matters in this joy, what matters is this joy has overcome. It alone is credible. It alone helps and heals. Bonhoeffer wrote this from prison cells within a concentration camp, remembering the great cloud of witnesses and history of people who have gone before him and those who now even come, followers of Jesus who know that suffering does not have the final word, that joy somehow paradoxically is found in these awful moments that we face. This is what he knew, that there was a joy set before him And for all those who are in Christ, there would be a joy that is set before us. It's what led Jesus to endure the cross. The joy that was set before him was, in some part, a resurrection. Three days later, coming out of the tomb and in doing so, the joy of looking forward and seeing us, his sons and daughters, called back home, brought to life, and not just sent to heaven when they die, but remember the gospel, the good news that he is making everything new. That's what he promises, this unshakable hope. Revelation 21, verse 5 says, look, Jesus says, I am making everything new. My friends, say everything, everything. I'm making everything new. What joy was before Jesus as he walked towards death? The idea that creation itself was moving towards restoration, that God is restoring a people who are then sent to restore the world. And because of this, the suffering he was facing, the suffering and death in the midst of a concentration camp, and my friends, the suffering we will face and see it is never final. No pain can touch what has been redeemed. No death can handle what resurrection has bought. We have a future that is powerful enough now to transform our present. And because we have a future that's big enough to change how we live in the present, because of this, that's why we have joy. We have something ahead. Something so beautiful. So transformative, so bright that the darkness we face can be seen and celebrated within as we find joy. These last couple of years, I know, have been really, really heavy, haven't they? I, I look in a room like this and I, I, I can see stories. I see faces and I see stories of people who've walked through some stuff. Not just the pandemic, not just the things that have come about because of that, but also just personal struggles, things like sickness and division and hurt, relationships that are strained, just all sorts of difficult stories represented here, ones that I don't even know. I feel that same way. These last couple of years, I think for our family, have been some of the toughest, and a few a few months ago, my, my wife and I, we got to go on this retreat together. And it was the first time of really, I think, getting away since all this began. And as I went, I was so depleted and tired but hopeful and just longing for God to, to speak or do something because it has been so weary 
for the past couple of years. And as I began to pray and see God, we were in the mountains and just slowly walking and praying. These words from David, from Psalm 51, came to my, my mind and my heart. These words, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Buddy, and I started praying that. Just, Lord, that's what's missing. I haven't lost hope. I know what my hope is. I haven't lost faith. I believe in God. I, I believe in who he says he is. What I've lost, what I lost is joy. As everything grew weary, I let joy go. So I began praying, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And as that joy had dwindled, looking for places beyond the wounds and beyond the weariness and taking hold of that joy once again. What I found as I came back is looking at most of the areas of my life where I had seen struggle or pain were when I looked for joy in places where it could not be found. When I tried to achieve joy, when I tried to grab hold of it from my own. But what we see in the scriptures clearly is that joy is not achieved, it's received. It's not something that we climb up to and grab. It's something that we receive from God. This word joy in the Greek is kara, comes from the same word that we get grace, charis. Joy is literally a gift that we receive from God. And here's the thing about God. God does not pour out some and then hold back for a while. God is always pouring out joy. God is always abundant in joy. It's just that I have to put myself in alignment to receive what is already being poured out for me. And the same, I believe, is true for us. It's not that God is not abundant. It's not that there is a scarcity and there's not enough to go around. It's that in the overflow of what's being poured out for us, will we align ourselves with a place where we will receive what God longs for us to experience? In John 15, Jesus is talking about this. He's talking about how he's, he's calling them to love one another. He's calling them to abide in himself. And he says, I'm telling you these things. Why? Because I want your joy to be complete. Jesus didn't say, I want your faith to be awesome. He didn't say, I want your performance to be great. He said, I want your joy to be complete. Jesus doesn't want insufficient joy in our lives. Jesus wants the overflow of that joy to be fully and finally experienced. I tell you these things. Why? So your joy will be complete. This gospel we believe it's proclaimed that we celebrate and sing about tonight is a gospel that produces joy. And what I've seen over and over again is I can trace this back. I can reverse engineer this and see if I haven't really experienced and received that joy, it may be because I've lost sight of what the good news actually is. I've lost sight of what God has proclaimed. I've lost sight of why the gospel actually transforms me. There's two people I want to talk to tonight as we close. The first one is a group of people here who maybe you're hearing the gospel for the first time. And here's what I don't mean by that. Oh, you're hearing about Jesus for the first time. If there's anybody hearing about Jesus for the first time tonight, wow. In Kentucky, this is the buckle of the buckle of the Bible Belt. 
We have an over-churched but under-gospeled culture here. So maybe you're hearing the gospel, and you've heard the gospel, but today you're hearing the gospel. You're hearing the gospel for the first time. And if that's you, if this message that you've seen now hopefully begin to bear fruit in your heart, I just want to say fully and finally from myself and from restoration, welcome home. Come home. This good news is for you. God meets you here. And secondly, I want to speak to other Christians in the room who I suspect bear some level of that same weariness and heaviness of these last few years. Maybe you're having a realization as I had that you have lost hold of joy. And your heart is crying out for that same thing. Lord, restore to me your joy. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And I want us tonight as people of Jesus to just cry out for that. To just as we worship and sing, to say, Lord, restore that joy. And I just want you to know in these next few weeks, as we're not able to meet here at the Lyric, we're going to talk about joy together. But I've already talked about this with our leaders and some folks. 2023 is going to be the year for us where we pursue joy together. Amen? We're going to have fun. We're going to find joy even when we're not having fun too. We're going to learn to receive that from God. You may not know this, but tonight is the darkest night of the year. December 21st. It's this winter solstice. It's where the sun only is out for the shortest amount of time. We're literally gathering at the darkest point of the year. Scripture says something. It says joy comes in the morning. So there's a darkness I know we are in and feel, but we are so bold and defiant in the face of that darkness that tonight we get up and sing, there's joy coming in the morning. There's joy coming in the morning. Hear me, y'all. There's joy coming in the morning. There's joy coming in the morning. And so, Holy Spirit, I, I just ask that you would do the work of awakening that longing, that ache for joy. For those of us who maybe are hearing that gospel for the first time, help us, Lord, as, as your church, uh, to walk alongside them, that messy, beautiful path of faith. Give them the courage to step into it, they don't have to know everything. They don't have to memorize the map. They just need to take the next step and then the next step and then the next step. And for us, God, the Christians, followers of Jesus, weary, sometimes wandering, we cry out, restore our joy. I pray this. We're going to celebrate communion tonight. We have elements here on.